The future is now. A world of endless possibilities awaits. At the forefront of this revolution stands Web3, the beacon of innovation, gateway to the future, and symbol of hope. Join us as we embark on a journey of discovery and exploring the cutting edge technologies and revolutionary ideas that will shape the world of tomorrow. This is Web3 Talks, and we're just getting started. And my name is Caleb. I'm the host of Web3 Talks. And today I have a special guest. His name is Colin Levy. Uh, did I did I say that uh, last name right? Absolutely. Levy. Awesome. Um, I was like, Levy, Levy, I hope I said it right. Um, but Colin, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for being on. And you know, before we get started, I'd like to ask uh, you know, a little bit about who you are. What are you, what is it that you're doing right now? Um, and I will say that we met on LinkedIn. Uh, I think we met through Robert Hanna, um, my partner with Weapon Insanity. And um, but uh, you know, without me trailing off, you know, tell us a little bit about who you are. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, um, yes, we we definitely have a mutual friend in Rob Hanna, who's uh, really great. Uh, I am uh, a lawyer uh, and a legal tech writer, speaker, educator. Um, and that stems from essentially just realizing there was a disconnect between the practice of law and the way the world actually was uh, that I saw firsthand when I started working as a lawyer. And I really wanted to see if I was just crazy or if there were other people who thought that this disconnect existed and what they were trying to do about it. So that set me off on my journey, learning more about legal tech and the relation between technology and law. Uh, and now I can't get enough of it. And I currently am uh, the head lawyer for a legal tech company in the contract management space called Malbec, uh, where I essentially do lawyerly things for them, as well as uh, speaking and writing about technology and the benefits of using it in law practice. Yeah, and, and I'd like to ask you a little bit about that. I mean, that that's awesome. Uh, I, I love I love what you you were talking about with with legal tech. What is it that um, what kind of technology do you kind of focus on, or are you into new new technologies? How do you how do you integrate that? Absolutely. So I'm definitely into all different types of technologies. Um, I'm particularly interested in uh, the advancement of technology and how technological advancements are impacting the practice of law. Hence, while we're talking about Web3 and artificial intelligence and things along those lines, and we certainly have seen a lot of progress being made very quickly, especially on the AI front, uh, which I think to some is a bit scary and others just a bit disruptive. But for me, I find it enthralling and engaging and exciting. Um, and really, you know, I tend to focus on technology from two different angles. One is kind of what is the state of technology in the pra in the legal industry and two why technology is important for lawyers to be aware of and know about and how it can help them be better lawyers and help them connect better and be a better service provider to clients yeah that's that's interesting because um the, you know the thing that did catch my eye with uh and wanted to have you on was that you have an interest in web three and how how did that happen right i mean i know i know you're into tech uh before we started today we were having a little bit of a conversation we were talking about a lot of stuff we we're talking about uh venomous snakes uh and and kangaroos boxing people but one of the things was um you know you have a gaming computer so I'm I'm wondering, have you have you been in tech for uh um have you been interested in tech for a long time? So it's interesting. I have been interested in tech for quite some time, but it started actually when I was really young. I actually had a fear of technology. I saw it as intimidating and saw it as um fear-inducing, didn't really I, I saw it as potentially useful, but I also found it intimidating because I thought it involved a lot of code and becoming kind of some, you know, programmer in like the black hoodie in some basement. Uh, so it really, I found it initially scary, but then I eventually learned how technology isn't scary, shouldn't be scary, and really is just another set of tools in your toolbox. Uh, and because I am into gaming, I further saw uh, sort of how technology was playing a role in the future of gaming. Um, and certainly in terms of Web3, you know, I see it, I see Web3 really as kind of a natural evolution of 
of the internet. Um, and there already are, and for a little while, there has been sort of elements of Web3 in terms of virtual worlds and um, or sort of worlds that you could either be a part of yourself or you could create yourself and then have a character be involved in. I'm thinking about games like The Sims or other things where you kind of have this community that doesn't exist, but is exists in the game. And Web3 really seems like a natural evolution of, of some of those things. Uh, and I think, you know, currently the struggle right now, I think around Web3 is just kind of figuring out logistically how it would work sort of globally because of the lack of standards and the fact that there's all these different sort of technologies and attempts at sort of creating a Web3 community. Um, and right now, I think that's inhibiting a little bit of adoption and evolution of it. But that's been the case with other technologies as well. So I think we'll we'll progress through it. It's just a matter of um, education and getting people to understand more use cases for it. Yeah. And, and just, I mean, in general, this is pretty pivotal in terms of uh, human history as in, are we going to decide to adopt a lot of these technologies and not even regard, not even talking about web three. Um, however, and I'm going to talk about AI. I think AI is within web three. I mean, web three is just the next version of the internet and AI is a big part of that. But one of the biggest things that's affecting things right now is is AI, right? That is affecting um, almost every industry. A lot of people are, are afraid of how it's going to affect um, um, a couple of the professional industries, but one of them specifically is the the legal industry. Uh, uh, so on, on AI, how is how have you seen AI impacting that industry? Uh, is there an example of how it's impacted, uh, if you can share, uh, in your own company? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, artificial intelligence, specifically, um, two forms, one generative artificial intelligence, and also just sort of other types of artificial intelligence, primarily focused on um, review and analysis of data. I think both have dramatically and will continue to dramatically impact the practice of law because it's allowing now for not just the automated review of contracts and analysis of data, but now it's able to, but now with generative AI, you're actually able to generate content, whether it's a contractual clause, an entire document, um, and or suggest improvements for clauses or contracts or uh, or other types of documents is now possible and able to done quickly, uh, quickly, efficiently, and more productively than a human can do before. So I do think there are a lot of you know very powerful use cases for artificial intelligence right now in law. The real challenge I think is twofold. One is the lack of sort of an ethical framework around proper use of these tools and be the sort of really pretty broad opportunity there is for bias within um, the use of these tools, because these tools are, first of all, they're created by humans, so they're inherently imperfect because humans are imperfect, but B, um, data is, you know, as good as, you know, these tools, I should say, are only as good as the data being fed to them. And that data often is limited and sometimes may contain biases because your collection of data had a bias to it you weren't aware of. So that turn, in turn means the solutions are going to provide you with answers that may be biased. So, so that's something I think that's important, which has to do with sort of just being more transparent and open about what data is being used to train these models, how it's being collected, how it's being used, and what more data is being collected by these tools as users use them, because that's certainly something that has come up fairly often, especially right now with OpenAI's chat GBT tool, as well as with other tools. Um, and in terms of, you know, providing data to these tools to give you, um, you know, analysis, uh, you know, these solutions aren't always as transparent as one would like with respect to their collection of data that you give it. Yeah, that's, that's, that's very interesting. And, and I was, uh, as you were saying that I was trying to remember what, what was the problem that you initially, uh, when we just started the conversation, you said that there was a problem in the legal space. Um, uh, what, what, what is that problem? You said there was a problem connecting something. Um, um, oh, so, well, there's a, there's a couple problems. I think one is, you know, the, in the legal space, especially there is, a lot of people say there's resistance to technology and artificial intelligence. I don't think there's necessarily as much resistance now as there used to be. It's more a lack of understanding and knowledge about these tools and how to use them properly. Um, for example, you know, there's that case that was fairly public about a lawyer using ChatGPT to uh, help him write a brief and it provided him with seemingly 
legitimate cases that are all completely made up. And that's, you know, not unheard of. In fact, that's somewhat expected from these tools because these tools are intended to provide you with seemingly reasonable, rational answers, but it's up to you to ensure that they're legitimate and real. And a lot of people were blaming the tool for providing incorrect information. And really, that case was more about just an incompetent lawyer not doing their job with respect to checking their sources. Um, it's akin to like a reporter, you know, providing erroneous reporting because he or she didn't check their sources to ensure that they were legitimate. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, and I was going to ask you this earlier. I mean, would you have an have ChatGPT write you some sort of case or some <laughs> some sort of defense? I look, I I think that those tools are very good at providing brainstorming ideas and first drafts of things, but there's no way. I would have it provide, I would use it to provide a final version of anything at all because they're not, they're imperfect because like I said before, they were created by humans. So they're not going to give you a perfect whatever, but they are going to hopefully in an ideal world, give you some good information to continue to work with. Yeah. And you, you know what, you know, what's interesting is, uh, uh, on top of what you were just talking about, another besides all the concerns that people have with AI and tech and, and the the ethics behind it, but then also the validity, like coming up with random cases that don't even exist, uh, 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 pointing to surveys that that were never conducted. Uh, what would what would you like to see out of um, out of this space, right? Um, what what would what, what kind of solution are you trying to see um, AI solved um and i guess i'll approach just a little bit i i don't think that um ai should be here to completely replace what we're doing but it's here to assist us in certain ways so how 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 does that help uh the the legal space potentially right what what is it that you would like to see out of ai yeah so i i think certainly we've seen um i think you know, some pretty good use cases with respect to analysis of data sets and finding trends and um, and providing sort of, uh, you know, potentially useful, actionable information in different ways. For example, in the area of litigation analytics, you can use these tools to help provide you with insight into how effective your potential brief argument is, how likely it is to go over well with a specific judge based on prior case law that you fed this tool. Uh, you can see how successful other similar cases have been, and that can be helpful with regards to deciding how aggressively you suggest a client litigate a case, your approach to that litigation, whether you should litigate at all, uh, because historically, you know, litigators would litigate um, based off of just prior experience. And now you can actually have data backing up your strategy which for me as a client, were I to be needing a lawyer for a litigation, I would want data to back up whatever the strategy that the lawyer was proposing to me to pursue. So that's certainly one area where AI can be very useful. Uh, and that just goes to your earlier point about AI really being kind of just another tool in your toolbox, regardless of what you're trying to accomplish. It's not here to replace you. It is here to, in some ways, change what you do and how you do it. Uh, so certainly types of jobs are changing as are the tasks involved with those jobs, but it's definitely not, you know, here to replace you unless of course you're not using it because it's certainly, you know, as, as has been said by others, you know, lawyers and other legal professionals using AI or other technologies are going to replace those not using those tools. But that's been the case for quite some time already. So I don't think that's really anything new for people to be aware of, but it's certainly something I think to um, continue to know because technology is not going anywhere. It's continuing to advance and it really doesn't care whether you want to use it or not. It has no agenda at all. It just is just a fact of life that we're continuing to advance with regards to progress in the technology arena. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and, and among all of that, I, I think that technology outside of even just Web3 and, and disregarding even the NFTs, because we haven't even... We haven't really talked much about Web3 as it's typically been been spoken about, but in regards to AI, AI asks the question, what is what is ownership, right? And so I I would uh, really value your opinion or your thoughts um, um, on what is ownership in your view, you know, somebody that comes from 
you have the the legal uh, mind, but you also have a little bit of a, a bent toward te technology. Um, what, what do you think ownership is, and what, how has it been challenged with these new technologies? Well, traditionally, you know, at least in the legal sense, IP, uh, intellectual property law has defined ownership and defined kind of what qualifies as ownership. The problem now, or well, it's kind of a it's more of a challenge than a problem, but it, it in some ways it could be a problem. Is a you know if you ask AI to create something or help you create something, the question is well who really owns that creation? Is it you because you came up with the idea, or is it the artificial intelligence solution because it actually created that thing that you asked it to create? And that answer is unclear at this point. Um, it's never been fully vetted out or or questioned. So I, I do think there is a question of ownership. I mean certainly some of these. AI solutions in their terms, you know, try to make an attempt at defining what's owned by whom. But in terms of, you know, the legal fra IP framework, uh, I, I think that IP law has not yet evolved enough to account for artificial intelligence created or AI assisted created works and who really owns that work. Um, and, and so, you know, I think that NFTs and other types of sort of electronic creations are, are really testing that the concept of ownership. And it remains to be seen how that gets resolved, but it's certainly going to need to be resolved, um, especially as AI continues to get more advanced and we rely on it more to do more and more of our, uh, of, of our tasks. Yeah, and that, that's a great answer. And, and the, the reason why I really have been uh, kind of pushing for a lot of these legal questions is that I think this is one of the biggest Concerns for the people that understand why we need to address the the questions of legalities around these things, uh, but but for most people, they don't even think that uh, uh, it's important to answer the answer these questions because of the fact that, um, well, you know, disregard my opinion. Was something that that happened uh, with what I'm talking about is around NFTs when everybody was like, what, "What's an NFT? Can we sell that as a as an actual asset? What is it considered as?" And there's this whole um, you know, we, we weren't sure what the government was going to classify these different cryptocurrencies. Um, so there's been a lot of stuff that's been up in the air um, about what are the legalities around these new technologies. So I guess, uh, wh why do you think that people should care about the legality around new technology? What, what, are, what are the concerns people should be looking out for? Because I, I, I will, you know, be transparent. A lot of my audience is the people that are more um on the on the business side, focus uh the business side of these technologies like how do we how do we profit from these how can these help these our businesses um and a lot of people don't really regard like the legal side why why, why is it important to address the legal questions uh there's a lot of different ways i think to answer that question i think that um certainly one way to answer it is because otherwise you know, you don't want to be opening yourself up to potential liability. You don't want to be opening yourself up to uh, potential risks around, you know, ownership, around, um, you know, plagiarism, around all sorts of things that can arise. Uh, so it's important to be aware of the risks. In addition, again, you know, you as a lawyer, and at this point, 30 plus states have a duty of tech competence, which means that you as a lawyer have an ethical duty to be aware of both the benefits and risks of different types of technologies as they pertain to your practice. So in addition to not just me telling you it's important to be aware of these things, you also as a lawyer have an ethical obligation to be aware of these things. Um, and so, you know, it's incumbent upon all of us as, as lawyers to be aware of these technologies and, and, and use them prudently uh, and appropriately. And that in turn means we all need to be better educated about the use of these tools, use cases and potential risks of them as well. And have, have you seen anybody get in trouble for using AI tech? I haven't seen anyone get in trouble per se, but I have seen reports of, I forget which law school, but maybe one or two law schools actually banning ChatGPT from being used. Um, and I think that's a bit onerous and a bit, of a step too far because while I do think that there is, you know, important concern around plagiarism, uh, I also think that 
kind of banning a technology that's only going to grow more powerful and only going to become more and more influential, I think is delaying the inevitable at best. Yeah. And somebody, a friend of mine uh, and, and a business partner pointed out to me that, um, <clears throat> that, that ChatGPT is just an idea. It Obviously it exists, but it's an idea that's going to continue to move forward. This is something that people wanted. This is, this is, this filled some sort of need that nobody could even see coming and it's just going to continue to be developed. And that, that's why, again, that's why I asked you um, about, you know, why should we consider the legalities around this stuff? It's it's going to continue to evolve and we're going to have even more powerful tools than chat GPT. And there's going to be more specific tools, I think, for legal uh, tech, because, you know, I, I don't know if you had, had a thought on that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, here's, I think the other sort of thing to keep in mind is artificial intelligence itself is not a new concept at all. It's been under development for decades at this point. We've only reached the point now where we're capable in terms of having the technology capability of making advancements on the front. Uh, and to that point, we're really only scratching the surface at this point of its capabilities. And so I think that's continued to advance. It's continued to get more and more complex. And it's therefore incumbent upon all of us, I think, to not get left behind, which doesn't mean trying to keep pace with technology advancement. That's just not going to happen because it's just advancing too fast but to not too far, not uh, fall too far behind in terms of keeping in sight, understanding its uses and understanding that at some point it's gonna be seen kind of as uh, indispensable as like our phone or sort of our everyday computer. Yeah, and I, I, I was going to ask another question on AI, but I, I was just thinking, um, I, I was trying to think of how to, how to phrase this question because, you know, I've been asking you a lot about um, the actual practical legal answers around a lot of, a lot of these new technologies, but I, I'm wondering, um, and specifically in terms of web three, it doesn't even have to be subjected to AI, but what is it that attracts you to these new technologies? What is it, what is it that attracts you, Colin? Like outside of your profession, obviously seeing a lot of these benefits i mean because there are a lot of benefits uh um even in a in a very a, a careful industry like like you're in where where things need to be meticulous they need to be right um you can't have fake sources um what is it that attracts you to these technologies i think it's just an inherent natural curiosity that i have and a love of learning i i just love to learn i love to challenge myself i love to um, explore new things. And I also love to kind of not conform and not follow the crowd. So I think that there's, you know, those things kind of influence how I think about things and how I go about doing things. And it's become intentional. But when I was younger, it wasn't necessarily intentional. It was just how I was. I just am that type of person. Um, and I just, I, you know, I never really saw the purpose and wanting to conform, even though there certainly was a lot of pressure when I was younger, especially in middle school and high school to perform, just like there is for all of us when we're at that age. But I, I do think that it's important for each of us to kind of really find ourselves in many ways and know who we are and not be afraid to kind of be who we are. And so I think that also attracts me to new technologies and, and kind of exploring new frontiers on the technology front. Yeah. And it was, well, it's great that you mentioned that because, um, you know, self plug web three insanity.com. Uh, I finally kind of finished up the website and the focus of it is these tenants, which make up web three. One of them is uh, inclusion. And another one is, is safety. There are tenants uh, of, of accountability. And what are the points of these? These are to describe the web three space as a movement. And like you were saying, this is this is uh, what kept me in the space. I was going to say this is what attracted me to the space. It was uh, very nice to be in a community of people that were very accepting um, and people that were tired of the way that things are right now culturally and the way that maybe we do things corporately, um, you know, into a little more bit of a relaxed society, a little more inclusive. Um, and uh, But I will say what attracted me to the space was the NFTs. I thought the NFTs were so cool. I was like, wow, people are making such a return on these. They're just putting a little bit of money out and, and they're just selling them because other people just find so much worth in these. I was like, I want to get in on that. Um, but, you know, eventually that faded, that kind of hype for these 
I don't know. I, I don't want to say these these scammy projects, but just things that don't hold as much value as I thought they they would long term, right? But what kept me again was this community where it was, it was let's create things, let's collaborate with each other. Um, just even the way that people were doing things, people working for each other uh, um, for free, uh, just just including anybody into this space, right? So um, my point with that is that's what kept me in this space. And um, I, I was just curious to know what what it is that first caught your eye uh, with, with Web3. I know you, you said that you liked the community. Is that what brought you in was the community? Yeah, you know, the community for me has always been a very important concept in general. Uh, so certainly, you know, being part of a community that's supportive, that's welcoming, that is uh, insightful, uh, is really important to me. And that's why I am so happy that I found the legal tech community. And that also is what in part drew me to the Web3 community as well as just this, this idea of kind of just belonging to something greater than yourself, but also being able to learn and grow with others who come from a different variety of different perspectives, uh, backgrounds, journeys. You know, I think we have a lot to learn from each other. And that's really one of the key tenets that drove me to first learn about legal tech was to just reach out to others who are doing things differently. And frankly, just asking them one simple question, which was tell me about your journey and then shutting up and listening to what they had to say and learning from it. Um, and that continues to be my approach going forward is, you know, is just listening to how other people have evolved and learned and grown because that, tells me a lot, not about just, not just about who they are and what they do, but also about how they think. And that is really interesting to me. Have, have you joined any uh, gaming communities or have you been a part of any? Uh, you know, going back to the gaming. <laughs> I've not particularly, I've, I've dabbled in a little bit, but in general, the, the gaming communities tend to be composed of two types of people, neither of whom I really have a huge interest in being part of. One is immature teenagers, and two are people who do nothing but game literally all day long and have nothing else to do. And so that is not ideal for me, which is why I tend to game often by myself. Uh, I do game with a couple friends, but they're, they have other things to do. Gaming is not solely what they do. So that brings an added perspective because um, I, you know, I just don't have time for immaturity at this point in my life. Yeah, it, it does suck up a lot of time. I mean, it does. This is a it lot does. of fun games. I, I mean, what what do you? I'm just scared. What are you playing now? Yeah. So, well, uh, I'm very excited about Starfield when that comes out in September. Uh, but I also right now I'm playing a lot of Diablo Four. Um, oh my goodness, Diablo! Which is a lot of fun. <laughs> um, because I finally remember playing Diablo Three and all the other Diablo games. Uh, and plus I tend to be attracted to um horror movies and horror games uh so i i also have um played and beaten several times uh resident evil village which was a lot of fun kind of a horror survival game um so yeah there are a lot of there are a lot of fun i'm not uh not easily scared by those types of games and i like the challenge of them as well as well as the ability to evolve your character yeah that, that that's really interesting I, I never got into diablo i had friends that did um but um did you like have you joined any of these communities as as in do you play with or interact with people that that also like like the game so i do play with a couple friends i do play with a couple friends in diablo and i i'm far ahead of both of them in some ways in terms of my actual character level so i help them kind of level up but i also just enjoy playing with them because we can play and then just catch up on life at the same time and it's just it's just a fun way to kind of hang out with other people virtually without having to physically be with them. Although I do value in-person interactions quite a bit as well. Yeah. And I think that that is awesome. Right. And the, the reason I asked uh, about all of that is because gaming for so many different reasons laid the groundwork for web three. And this is one of them is uh, right. At least there were a lot of practices that web three took um, is that creating a product that's very attractive. It's very cool. Like Diablo. And then being able to speak with other people um, and join a community where other people are are playing that too. I, I remember over COVID, and I don't know if this is true for you, but uh, I got to interact with a lot of my friends uh, through Discord, and we just played these games, and we get to catch up, and we'd be like, "Hey, like, what's up? What's going on?" Uh, all while connecting them over this game, and that's something that I've really appreciated, and I've noticed that Web three has that is new of the internet, 
where in the older internet, maybe you had a little more, I don't know, I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, but it's a, a little more toxic communities like on Facebook. I mean, on Facebook for a while ended up becoming a little bit more of a toxic community because of the culture that maybe the leadership is fostering. Um, right. And in this new world of Web3, we have we stray away from that. We're, we're, we're moving towards a better society because we're, it's more communal thinking. Um, and I, in my last podcast episode, kind of predicted that it's it's outside of Web3 too. We're moving towards more of like a communally minded society where people take care of their own, they take care of their local communities. Um, and I'm just I'm just wondering if if this is something. Uh, that resonates with you in terms of stuff that you've seen in the in the legal world. Um, I don't know if that makes any sense. I know that per industry, um, a lot of people, at least that I've spoken to, have seen this community minded shift. But I just don't know what that would even look like in the legal space. Have you seen something like that uh, ch- change in culture? <laughs> Not as much as I would have liked to have seen, but I do think we're slowly but surely getting there. Certainly the you know, lawyers' interest in technology and or in being part of the legal tech community, I think, have embraced a more communal kind of people-first approach. But I do think uh, there still is a pretty strong tendency in many areas within the legal industry to pursue a, a less people-first approach and more kind of traditional sort of provide services and think about things regardless of, you know, the fact that we're doing people and they have emotions. So, I do think a community-focused approach would would be beneficial for the legal industry, but uh, it's been, I think, slow going. But certainly, I think we're starting to, you know, plant the seeds of it. And I think more and more lawyers are realizing that, you know, the legal industry needs to be more about just laws and legal answers to legal problems, and more about solutions to problems that are human-focused and people-first. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I mean, and, and even just outside of that, it, it, earlier you were, you were talking about how um, on top of that, you also have to kind of think about the ethical concerns, um, you know, outside of just, you know, how do we make the workplace better? How do, we, how do we make this culture better? Ethical concerns for adopting new technology, because part of the attraction for this new technology is it connects people in a better way. That is what Web3 is. Um, but then again, like you were saying, there is an ethical concern Um especially with AI um, was, was your focus. But um, to that, I, I also respond, there are AI chatbots that people are building for the purpose of um, more communal thinking because now you can, um, or in terms of help, helping people feel connected to something, right? Because there are these, these AIs that pretend like they are um, other people or they impersonate other people. Um, so the, the question I have for you is what, what are the legalities around impersonating other people with with AI, right? Because I've seen a lot of this. I've seen a lot of, um, not in terms of coming up with with like uh, a fake page with a fake influencer that's that'll be an exact copy of somebody like, I don't know, like, like The Rock. Um, but in terms of um, music, like people making music with people that aren't around anymore, um, uh, deceased artists. What are legalities around doing uh, these impersonations? Well, I'm, I'm certainly not an expert on uh, that type of thing, but I certainly think that that is a major concern, kind of, you know, deep fakes and or the um, uh, sometimes tendency to bring people back from the dead, so to speak, and or appear to be a celebrity or hanging out with a celebrity or what have you. Certainly think that's a major concern. And I do think there's a lot of kind of not just ethical questions and concerns with that, but also just kind of, you know, legally, you know, representing someone else, um, I think can be a can be a problem. Uh and and you really shouldn't be um, you know, pretending to be someone who you're not, but it's it's definitely getting more challenging, I think, to figure that out because of AI and its ability to generate things that look like real people saying things that they have never said and that isn't actually them. Yeah, and you said you said your specialty. I, you know, I, I never even asked you what what is what is your legal specialty. Sure, <laughs> it's evolved <laughs> over time, but uh, generally speaking, I am a corporate lawyer, so I focus a lot on corporate transactions, corporate structures, um, 
with a technology focus. Uh, so I'm a corporate tech lawyer, I think is how I would describe kind of the lawyer part of me. Corporate, you said corporate tech lawyer? I mean, technically. Corporate tech lawyer, yeah. Yeah, no, that, that, that's, that's, that's really awesome. And what, why did you choose corporate over everything else? Because I know that you started kind of with technology. Um, I would have guessed that maybe you went into something else. Why, why corporate? Yeah, well, I, you know, when I was in law school, uh, I knew not a lot, but I knew one thing, which was I didn't want to do litigation, wanted nothing to do with litigation, had no intention or desire to be in a courtroom, wanted nothing to do with courtrooms or judges, uh, which made some of the law school stuff tough because some of it was more litigation focused and I just had no interest in it and I knew I was never going to use it. That being said, uh, what I really, what drew me to law and what still draws me to being a lawyer is sort of the challenge of, you know, structuring a transaction or of, you know, putting a deal together between two parties that's complex and sort of the fact that these deals often involve different parts of a business and my ability to sort of learn about those different parts of the business and be exposed to all of them was really, you know, what drew me to law and what continues to, I think both really fascinate me, allows me to learn a lot and also challenges me as well. And that's also largely in part why I wanted to work in-house as opposed to working for a law firm was to be closer to a business and be more business focused and really be fluent in the language of business, which has more and more become the language of data and, and metrics. And what what is it that uh, <clears throat> and the the, re the reason I ask all this stuff is um, and I really should have done this earlier is debunking um, or at least clarifying a lot of the uh, things that we're talking about right because because I know you use a lot of legal terms um, a lot of people um, in this startup slash business world uh, uh, that are trying to adopt technology and they're also trying to learn legal terms so that they can be in line with everything maybe they don't 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 know everything and I know. Um, uh, in terms of, cause I, I thought you were going to say that you were a litigation lawyer, but that's literally what you didn't want to, that's the one thing that you <laughs> didn't want to get into <laughs> and lit litigation. It, that's just a case against somebody in business. So litigation is a lot of things. Um, but at its core, yeah, it's basically two parties having a, a dispute that, um, they can't resolve through just talking to one another so therefore they have to go to court and figure it out and often it takes the form of you know can take many many different forms whether it's you know over a contract and what it actually says or obligates or an alleged breach of a contract or you know patent infringement or ip infringement it's just there's a lot of different areas within litigation but ultimately it's about two parties that disagree with with something legally and therefore they have to turn to the courts to resolve because they can't resolve it themselves outside of court yeah and that's seem to want to or can't yeah it's, it seems like that's just something that you i mean that seems like that this, that's just the situation you just don't want to get to um i mean, it, I mean ultimately i don't think anyone really wants to get to that point but unfortunately it does happen yeah well and that, that's what i was gonna ask what uh i mean obviously like i don't know you know, I'm trying to get you to call up an example off the top of your head, but but in what are some typical reasons in business? What are the easiest things that you can avoid, especially in the in the text like like, like legal tech, um, something to do with uh, like a technological infringement? What are the easiest things uh, uh, to avoid um, that you see that that lead to litigation? Um. Well, there's a lot that could be written and said about this, but I think honestly, it just comes down to, um, and this is me speaking as someone who's legally educated. I'm not speaking as anyone's lawyer and certainly not as your lawyer or anyone like that, but just putting that disclaimer out there. But you know, ultimately it just comes down to, I think uh, a couple of things is one, uh, ambiguity, whether it's in your contract or in your talks or negotiations and or, um, you know, promising something and not filling that promise um, and or not doing your research, you know, not doing enough due diligence, not doing your research and therefore, you know, coming up with something that potentially infringes on someone else's property. So there's a lot of different reasons for why it comes up. And unfortunately, uh, sometimes, especially in American side, it just comes up because people like to litigate, um, unfortunately. And American society is particularly prone 
especially these days, to, to litigating, which is not necessarily a good thing. Yeah, that's that's crazy. That's something that I've even noticed over the last 5, 10, 15 years is people just tend to be um, more prone to sue their own neighbor. I mean, neighbor against neighbor now. It's just, it's very crazy. It's it's kind of become part of this, uh, of American culture. And I just, I don't really understand it, but um, I don't know if you've seen it's that just, a lot. Well, crazy. I think it stems in part from the fact that we just have a, uh, a, a legal system, at least on the litigation side, that's adversarial, which does not mean necessarily, you know, when, um, you know, be negative, but it is a society that kind of pits two parties against one another, and there's a winner and a loser, which, say what you will, often bring, brings out not the best behaviors in people. Yeah, well, that's really interesting you say that. I mean, um, obviously, I, I know, you know, now we're talking about uh, international law, but is this different in some other countries? Is Is that kind of attitude in law is that very particular to the united states it it varies that you know not a lot of jurisdictions are less litig litigious than u.s um and there's some pretty dramatic differences in legal systems across the world so i think that you know the fact that american society is litigious is uh in part a function of just the fact that our legal system is set up the way it is uh, whereas others are not. Um, so I think that's that's a part of it. Uh, and I also think that, you know, we can sometimes be inflamed by just passions and emotions of people uh, that may or may not be rational. Yeah, that's, it's just unfortunate where we are. I mean, I, I think that maybe not necessarily, there might not be better laws that can curb all this stuff, but it really, we, we just kind of need to, I mean, what we do, we need to promote a better culture. And that's really, Again, back to what I like about Web3, it promotes a better culture. It's yes, technology can solve a lot of issues that we're going through right now, but we got to promote a better culture. Um, and I, I hope that you're seeing that in your space in, in in legal tech. I mean, I hope that maybe at least within the last few years, it's started to become a lot better. Certainly in legal tech, for sure. It's one of the most welcoming, most um, supportive communities I've ever been a part of. So that makes me be really proud to be a part of it. Yeah, that's that's really encouraging to hear. And I, I well, I actually I was, I was about to assume. I mean, I, I guess um, how is the rest of the legal tech space looking at these new technologies? Do, do they like them? Do they hate them? Are they are are we embracing it very quickly? Quicker than before, uh, but not as quickly as some of us may hope. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess. I mean, you listed a whole. A, a very long laundry list of things of reasons why you know it, people are weary of it so i understand um and it's it's it is extra work for the for the lawyers involved because they they need to um you're, you're basically i mean it's, it's a, how do i also say this it's a masterful craft and you have to really that that's that's a space for intellectuals um you have to think of a lot of different things when you're coming up with uh, these these documents right i don't know exactly how it works but i, I know that there's a lot of thought involved. I um, mean, that's why you just can't simply have an AI just write up um, legal work uh, in, in any regard. I mean, a lot of that stuff you really have to be careful and meticulous with, um, like I was saying earlier. So, um, and, you know, just, just the last bit on specifically, because um, I'm just really curious, like in, in your job, as much as you're willing to share, what's the day-to-day -day look like? Are you are you creating documents? Are you reviewing? It, you know, every day is different. Um... I, some days I may be reviewing an agreement, other days I may be negotiating a bunch of agreements, another day I may be writing up a bunch of blog posts, and another day I may be doing all those things and more. So, uh, you know, every day is different, every day varies a little bit, uh, and that's one of the things that I, I love about my role is that every day brings new new things um, and uh, forces me to be, stay on my toes and evolve, and and that is really where I like to be. That's that's awesome. I'm glad that you, I mean you you find purpose in in where you are, and I'm really excited for legal tech to continue to to like and adopt these new technologies. Because again, we do need um, uh, businesses that are in this space really need a lot of guidance in this because there is a lot of legalities around this. Um, there's stuff you got to anticipate for that you don't even you don't know what's going to happen. You got to be careful with. I mean, with DAOs, that was a perfect example. People were creating DAOs, these decentralized autonomous organizations. These these groups of people based on blockchain and nobody really knew what the legalities were going to, uh, were going to hold, whether or not the government was going to have a little more influence over these 
organizations, even though they're disorganized or that's organized, uh, decentralized. Um, and um, in, in terms of that, I mean, is how does that influence how you work with the with I don't know any given company? Like in terms of giving out advice, um, how how slow should businesses be to adopt technologies like that? in anticipation of the government changing a law that would literally change the whole structure of a business. How, how do you, how do you, how do you get around that? I think that your best bet at this point is to um, experiment within what the current legal framework allows for and just be prepared to adapt. And quite frankly, I think that um, uh, Adaptation is the way forward, and it's always been the way forward, particularly when it comes to technology. So I think that that's how you um, need to stay in front and evolve uh, and just understand that the world is a very dynamic place, and it's up to each one of us to be dynamic as well so that we can continue to um, find our place and maintain our place within the world. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I, I guess it just it is up to the discretion of whoever, whatever they want to do. Um, there really is no clear answer. I, I understand that. Um, but that, that was a great answer in, in, in spite of all that, <laughs> but, um, you know what, we are coming up to the top of the hour. Um, I want to be respectful of your time. I, I just have one more question for you. This is a, a little more open-ended. Um, but I'd like to know it in your opinion, or even if this is just happening now, uh, I don't know what's the next what's the next big thing? What's the next thing to adopt in the legal tech space? You know, it's a big question. I think that the best answer I can give is um, a emphasis and increased use of data. I think that data is going to become more and more valuable. It's going to drive a lot more innovation and it's going to be an increased focus of uh, legal tech solutions and tools. And more and more lawyers are going to realize they need to be data-driven to remain relevant, effective, and um, productive. And actually, and just quickly on that, um, what do you mean by uh, data-driven? Not, not, not to put you on the spot, but um, I know a lot of people yeah, kind of sure. see it a little differently. I mean, essentially, I just mean, you know, making use of data to inform strategy, inform analysis, uh, and to help kind of provide solutions to clients that are based more than based on more than just sort of one's experience and historical learnings and more on um, what actually what the reality on the ground is, how that exists, how how it's played out uh, and so on. So I, I really think that's going to be the way forward. And that's what clients, I think, quite frankly, are are looking for as well is um, just more informed analysis and less kind of of well i'm a lawyer this is my opinion so um that's what i think we should do yeah i think that that's that's awesome because I, like we mentioned chat gpt earlier one of the biggest pros with chat gpt and, and nobody really points this out when they're listing the pros is that uh and this is probably number one uh, is that it can scan a lot a lot of data very quickly i mean not even just chat gpt but tools like oh, that. absolutely. That's that yeah. is part and parcel of it is its ability to scan and analyze more data than most of us can realize. Um, and quite frankly, I think one of the current limitations of these tools is the fact that there's so much data out there that often it's a challenge for us to be able to collect enough data or as much as we want and feed it into these tools. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because that's the biggest thing to kind of to point out. Um, and even besides, uh, uh, on top of that, the refining of the analysis side, because I think that's been the concern for people is ChatGPT analyzing or even creating and then creating uh, uh, statistics that are just made up um, or analyzing it in a way that you didn't want it to. So the training is something that is very vital in that um, whatever AI solution, training it on, certain, on a certain type of, of data, like a data set that is relevant to what you're doing. Like you were saying, there's so much data out there and we just need to know what data to train this on uh, in a way that we can make these AIs uh, uh, think in the way that we want them to and analyze the data in the correct way. And it just needs to be specific to what we're doing. So I, I exactly. think that is, yep. yeah. 
and it'll be very interesting to see that in the, in the legal tech space, uh, how that evolves. Cause that's just so interesting, crazy that, uh, an AI can, um, and, and just to clarify, we're, I don't think that we're at the point where it could really replace jobs in that space. Cause the, cause lawyers are very, it's a, it's a very intellectual job. It's a, it's a kind of smart that you can't really replace. Well, I think there is, yeah. I mean, there's a lot to be said about it. I think, you know, suffice it to, suffice it to say that I think, you know, AI is going to help supplement what lawyers do. It's not going to replace lawyers except for those lawyers who don't use AI. I think that's a, that's supplemented is, is a better word than assisted. Cause I, I was saying, uh, uh AI, I, I've always said AI assisted, but supplement is better because it, it, it makes your processes more efficient. It doesn't necessarily, it's not there to just completely override what you're doing and replace what what your job description is, but it's there to make your processes more efficient. And then it gives you breathing room. And, and that's really the best use case for AI um, that, that I've noticed. And I think that that's awesome. Um, and, you know, I, I think that, I think that that's a great note to end on. I, I thank you so much for all the information that you uh, came to, to provide today. Thank you. Thank you for being you and being here with me. Um, you know, it's, it, it's been an honor to have you. And I really appreciate all the thoughts that you had on, everything that you said it was it was awesome uh and i want to thank you very much i was, was going to ask you um where can people find you where would you like people to follow you on <laughs> <laughs> absolutely well they can certainly find me on linkedin under my name they can also visit my website call on s levy c-o-l-i-n-s-l-e-b-y.com uh, i'm also on twitter c levy underscore law c-l-e-b-y underscore l-a-w so please Find me, follow me, connect with me. Happy to connect with uh, anyone with an interest in legal tech. Sounds good. And tw Twitter is, is uh, which is now X now. So now you are on X. <laughs> is that right, whatever you want to call it. I'm going to call it Twitter for as long as I can. So honestly, me too. me too. It's Twitter forever. It's it's it's, it's nothing else. <laughs> but uh, thank you so much, Colin. Uh, I hope you enjoy the rest of your week. And again, thank you for being on and thank you for being you. And uh, hope to talk to you soon. Thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Hey, have a great one. Okay. Bye.